ultimately, as humans, we there's three things drive most of us. One is certainty. We ultimately have an innate need for certainty, uh, recognition, and belonging. And actually, I think as well, you know, being able to join those up for an executive team of giving some certainty on the direction of travel, uh, recognizing those that are doing well, uh, you know, so that, that the recognition is built in and a sense of belonging uh, is a critical ingredient as well in, in a successful exco or executive team. From Positive Momentum, this is Meet the CEO, a show that takes you behind the scenes of the working lives of people who've reached what some might call the pinnacle of the career ladder. I'm Matt Crabtree, the founder of Positive Momentum, and on today's show, we meet Nick Fahey, CEO of Synergy Bank, a British financial services institution with roots that lead back as far as 1955, when it was part of Bank of Cyprus. The UK entity was acquired in 2018 by a consortium of experienced business owners and reborn as Synergy Bank, dedicated to empowering business owners. With offices across the UK, the bank says it's built on the belief that business owners have more important things to do than wrestle with complex products or spend valuable time administering their banking arrangement. That's a belief we can all get behind, I'm sure. 2020 results for the bank saw a 63% growth in profit before tax and a 13% growth in net lending to a 2.6 billion loan book during what was, of course, a tumultuous year for us all and where Synergy themselves lent more than £100 million to businesses under the UK government-backed coronavirus business interruption loan scheme. Not only these financial figures, but they also reported a very impressive plus 30 net promoter score and employee engagement scores of 86%. Nick's been part of the Synergy Bank story since first becoming CEO of Bank of Cyprus UK late in 2015. At that time, Nick had just returned from Western Australia, where he'd been a general manager with Westpac. And before that, he was in a variety of roles with Bank of Ireland over more than 17 years. I started out in our discussion, as I always do, by asking Nick why he became a CEO. I think, Matt, at the end of the day, if if you're going to be in a field, you want to be the best in that field. And I think in the field of business, everybody ultimately aspires to become a CEO. So I, I think there is the aspiration and ambition piece. I think probably all through my life, I've struggled with people telling me what to do. Uh, that got me, got me into a lot of trouble along the way, I can assure you, but uh, <laughs> no, just joking. But, but actually, I think being the CEO uh, does give you that bit of autonomy to be able to do the thinking and lead. And I really value that and enjoy it. But everyone's always got a boss, right? So, you know, even, even if he's got a boss, (laughs) whether it's a board or or whoever else, everybody's got a boss. Absolutely. Well, maybe, maybe we'll touch on that a little bit, but that, that makes a lot of sense. And it's a, it's a familiar pattern that we hear from people is that as you build your career, you want that space, that autonomy to be able to do the things you've kind of always wanted to do as you've been working up through corporate life. Absolutely. It also lets you build your legacy as well. So I think there's a number of aspects. Oh, yeah, good for you. Well, listen, let's get into the day to day. You and I have known each other for a while, but some of these questions I've never asked you before. So I'm really, I'm really interested to learn a bit more about Nick and the way that you go about uh, leading the organisation. What part of your day, Nick, do you preserve? Is there a part of the day that's sacrosanct for you that you really kind of protect? Yeah, I think um, it's a great question, man. I, I think there is. I, I probably call it my joining the dots time. 
And what I mean by that is, you know, in, in large part, a CEO is the chief dot joiner. And in some ways, having the little bit of time, whether it's to think about the medium term or indeed what's happening that day, to join the dots is absolutely important. It prepares you well for the day. And, and actually, you find on a CEO's desk, there's so many different things hitting that just having that little bit of thinking time to join the dots sets you up invaluably. So yeah, that's probably the time that's sacrosanct. What's your favorite time of day for that, Nick? Are you a, are you a morning guy, first, evening First guy? thing in the morning, yeah. First thing in the morning, always carve out a half an hour, 45 minutes, you know, to, to, to join the dots, whether that's for the papers for the day or other things, as I said, but first thing in the morning. I love this idea of chief dot joiner because it is so important isn't it organizations there is so much going on in any one particular organization especially you know more complex financial services organization joining those dots for everybody does help everybody else in their decision making doesn't it it does most definitely i i think it also allows you to have insights in some ways that that uh, help shape and mold the organization or even just resolve issues but i think without the dots being joined you end up you know, with, with the organization going in many different directions and fairly key to success is being focused and aligned. Yeah, very good. Very good. So let's talk a little bit about events over the years that you've been either CEO or indeed in senior executive roles. Have there been particularly challenging events or situations that you've encountered? And, and the obvious question, you know, what, what did you learn? What did you get out of those particular events? Yeah, so, so, so I think ultimately, probably the most challenging time, Matt, if I look back, was in the financial crisis of 2008, or even up to 2012, 2013. It was an incredibly difficult time in the world. It was a difficult time in the industry. And, uh, you know, even since then, what we think of as crisis, even COVID, has not turned out to be as challenging for, for the industry as, as that particular point in time. Um, I think, you know, what have I learned uh, through that particular time? I think the first thing is, you know, in banking, particularly when you're lending money, you got to think about getting it back at the same time. And that discipline of credit standards uh, is really, really, really important. And I think probably the second side of that, though, is treating customers fairly and the conduct aspect so that actually what you do and how you do it are equally important. So it's it's about kind of having the longer term horizon on lending as a banker, but equally treating customers fairly and, and making sure the conduct is appropriate. They were probably the two big takeaways. And I think I found certainly if you get both of those right, good discipline on the core aspect of the business and good conduct in the way you do your business, you don't normally go too far wrong. It's remarkable, isn't it, to think that that's more than a decade ago now. Do you think those lessons that the industry generally discovered, do you think they've been enduring? You know, people who are listening in who are probably not in the financial services industry might sometimes feel a little bit skeptical about that. You know, you you were right in the eye of it, Nick, and, and have remained so. Do you think those are enduring positive effects? I think they are. I think they definitely are, Matt. I think there's there's the learning that each executive, you know, at whatever point we were in our careers at that moment in time, the, the, the experiences we have. I think clearly the, the senior manager regime, which was a regulatory introduction post the crisis, which really brings home personal accountability. And at its extreme, if an executive is part of an organization that fails or has problems and is deemed to have behaved bad, badly, ultimately that goes and it ultimately can be criminal liability for the directors. So I think there is learnings and also the senior manager regime also helps though to, 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 to remind people as well of the personal accountability. So uh, I think even through COVID, we've seen a very different banking industry 
in terms of behaviors and approach. So I, I think it's enduring. It's a really interesting, wasn't it? You and I have watched over the last 10 years, people be really actually very thoughtful about, do I want to get to that level where SMR becomes a factor? Because as you say, it's considerable accountability. Um, and therefore, you know, I'm not suggesting that anybody wouldn't have taken their career seriously before. They certainly were, but that's that's quite a, a big condition to take on, isn't it, in your career? Yeah, look, I, I still come back to, though, if you approach your business maturely and fairly and, and approach it in a way of treating customers fairly as you go along and, uh, you know, a robust approach to how you do your business, the rest falls into place. And you're quite right, the degrees of personal risk are, are huge, but ultimately, it still comes back to basic things around doing things properly. Which, of course, the best in the industry have always felt, um, uh, you know, since the industry was born, the best have always behaved that way. Um, let's talk about uh, people who behave brilliantly. Who's most influenced the way you lead? Nick, I know you've worked with lots of different people during your career. Are there particular notable individuals who've influenced the CEO that you've become? The funny thing about it, Matt, is I, I probably don't think of people, uh, there's many people through my career that have, have really espoused great values. And I, I've always taken the approach of trying to take one thing from each boss that you've had along the way. But actually, the person probably that I would, and, and these sound like big shoes, so I'm not in any way comparing myself to this person. But I think if you look at people like Mandela, they, what they brought was, was a couple of things that I try and bring into my leadership style every day. One is values, um, and I think the other is calm. And, um, you know, I, I find if, if you're a values-based leader and you go back to your values and the values of the organization for most of your core decisions, don't go too far wrong. And like any other CEO, every day something hits on the desk and, you know, there, there's a mini crisis, but actually staying calm, working through it, contain the issue, do it properly, and keep direction is really, really important. So probably Mandela was the best I saw, Matt, in terms of, just in public life doing that. So as I said, I'm not in any way comparing, but I took those couple of, of attributes from his leadership style and I try and apply them daily. There are not many better role models for uh, for leadership in uh, in recent history. So it's a brilliant place to start. And, you know, I, I can tell the listeners that I was reading your annual report, just rereading it actually yesterday. And, you know, you place values in your annual report, really front and center. It's really notable that you do that, as well as, as I said at the top of the episode, you know, your focus on NPS from an external point of view and, and, and employee engagement from an internal point of view. And of course, lots of organizations focus on that. But I notice in your annual report that you place it, you know, it's there's net profit and then there's employee engagement and it's kind of got equal billing almost in terms of how you're reporting your results. Yeah, Matt, our model is a premium service model. So we, we want our customers to be really happy with the service. We charge a little bit more than the clearer. So it's a premium service model. And the philosophy is simple. If our, if our employees and our team are happy, our customers will be happy. So you kind of start with your team and then project outwards. It's the obvious uh, message, isn't it, that we all kind of know, but until you measure it routinely and you publish that measurement in association with the rest of your results, I do think there's real real power in that. Um, and I think it's, it's, uh, it's a really, really positive attribute of the way uh, Synergy is presenting your results. Now, let's talk a little bit about 
executive teams. Obviously, you and I have uh, partnered up on executive teams and talked talked often in private about what makes for an executive team. And we're going to talk about it a bit more publicly here. What what for you is the secret, Nick, to building a really effective executive team? Yeah, probably three things, Matt. I always kind of go back to the rule of three in some ways. I, I think... Um, ultimately uh, creating, joining the dots, going back to the analogy at the start, I think joining the dots early so there's a shared vision. And um, that may have to evolve. The dots may move. So sometimes it's a bit of a moving feast. But I think uh, having a, a, a vision that everybody aspires to and really wants to be on the journey, that's, that's number one. Uh, I think the second piece is, you know, ultimately teams want three things as well. And, and ultimately, as humans, we, there's three things drive most of us. One is certainty. We ultimately have an innate need for certainty, uh, recognition, and belonging. And actually, I think as well, you know, being able to join those up for an executive team of giving some certainty on the direction of travel, uh, recognizing those that are doing well, uh, you know, so that that the recognition is built in and a sense of belonging uh, is a critical ingredient as well in in a successful exco or executive team. Uh, and then I think the values-based leadership point uh, is the third piece. I, I think ultimately we all come across things in our daily lives and in our leadership lives where we've got to make difficult decisions. And I think showing uh, an executive team that the, the organization walks the, the walk as well as talks the talk on the values is really important. So I think if, if you can get a, a common vision, dots joined up that everybody buys into, I suppose address the, the certainty, recognition and belonging aspects in the team, and really live the values. For me, they're really the ingredients, man. I think if you get those right, the team will usually perform very well. It's a really interesting one because lots of our other guests have talked about shared vision and shared sense of purpose and, and to use your language values. What do you do, Nick, to get an executive team to that place, to that place of particularly shared vision? Because the values are often just about good common sense respectful ways of working with each other but when it comes to a vision you know a bank like yours you you could take lots of different strategic directions there are lots of options open to you how have you over the years gone about bringing those points of view on your exco together so that it does feel shared because i think some some executive teams find that pretty tough yeah I, my sense would be if you have a team of seven or eight people matt that to try and co-create everything as a team of six or seven or eight doesn't actually work. It's just too many people in the room. So you nearly need to have the, the dots on the page in some way. So that pre-work of what's possible and the options is most people don't want to leave something on the table either. So I think going through a piece of work before you get the team into the room of exploring the options and having the dots, at least in groups that can be played with as such. And then I think ultimately it's, it's, it's about judging the ambition of the individuals, because let's be honest, the, the collective ambition will be, will be a join-up of the individual ambition. If you've got a team of ultimate, ultimate conservative people, they're probably not going to go for a really stretching uh, ambition. So, so I think it's, it's having the pre-work, having the dots, and then I suppose judging carefully with the makeup of the team uh, what's possible. And then it's, it's really co-creation and ultimately getting people to one place I think probably the last thing is leaving the space for dissenters and actually valuing dissent uh, because quite often we all have blind spots. So actually having that joined up dots and then giving it a good challenge and letting the naysayers have their say and you usually end up with a much better picture that's, that's bought into by everybody. 
It's really interesting. This this dot metaphor is carrying us through this episode, uh, but but I do think it's very helpful to explain to those who maybe are developing their careers that the idea of walking in with a blank sheet of paper to a group of six or seven experienced, opinionated, passionate people is sometimes not helpful at all. And what you're describing is do some pre-work, create a rough sketch, you know, the dots are in place, but then create space for, as you say, a little dissent, a little debate, but within some parameters so that you don't just go around and around the houses because it can create dissatisfaction, can't it? If you say to your team, hey, everything's up for grabs, and then it turns out subsequently it isn't, things actually aren't up for grabs, that, that can create as much problem as, as, as kind of going in with a pre-baked idea from the very beginning. Yeah, and the other, the other thing clearly matters time. I think if everybody, if you had a week to play around with, fair enough, but most people don't. So I think, um, you know, doing the pre-work helps to get a, you know, you can do a lot in two or three hours with good pre-work. Uh, and I think probably the the only the point there would be just that if you if you want to get an outcome everybody buys into everybody will have their view on what the facts are so actually establishing the facts outside the room so that it, you know you can kill the the stuff that's going to spring you down a rabbit burrow is also is really important but yeah I find it invaluable to do the pre work bring in the dots at least on a page and then arrange them in the room. Very good. Super helpful. Thanks, um, Nick. A couple of last um, questions. Uh, changes on your horizon. We are uh, hopefully coming out of this um, COVID period. You're uh, running a financial services organisation, which is, is growing very nicely, continuing to transform. Um, but you're in a, a hot, sometimes complicated industry. What's the biggest change you see coming up on your horizon? Yeah, so 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 I think in the in the industry overall, and when I look at the economy overall, it's probably uh, the one pound and five in the UK was printed in the last year. So therefore, there is a wall of money, and there is a real risk of an asset bubble over the next couple of years. So I think we have to be particularly careful uh, of that. So that's probably one thing I, I think um, could change on the horizon in terms of you know the the ups and downs of an economy. I think for us as an organization, we've indented an IPO for the latest 2024. So I think at a personal level, you know, ultimately the CEO of Synergy will be, uh, you know, running a public company within three or four years. So there's a lot of prep work that goes into preparing for that as well. So, yeah, plenty, plenty of exciting things and no doubt not a few challenging ones as well. No doubt, no doubt. Well, the last 18 months has certainly thrown us um, a curveball, but the journey towards uh, becoming a public company will be uh, exciting, challenging, and and hopefully very, very successful um, for you and the team. Last question, Nick. Uh, Many of our uh, listeners and subscribers are people who are might be thinking about being a CEO at some stage um, in their career. Uh, three quick pieces of advice for anyone who's aspiring to it, maybe not people who are there, but people who are working up as you were through your Bank of Ireland and Westpac career. What, what's, your, what's your three quick bits of advice to you to you 20 years ago, maybe? Yeah, um, I think probably we've covered a number of the points, Matt, through the questions, but I think probably point number one is you got to get really good at joining the dots and practice every day. Because ultimately, whatever level of leadership you're at, you've got to lead, you've got to set direction. And therefore, being able to do that, it's a skill, but it's also an art and it takes practice. So I practice joining the dots and be able to create futures, whatever those might be. 
Uh, I think the second thing, you know, recognize that people ultimately want certainty, recognition and belonging. And I think as, as a leader, if you, and even if you watch political leaders, everybody uses those three leaders to differing degrees. So I think, you know, recognize those and practice, because you know, they, they, they come with practice naturally. And I think the third thing is, uh, you know, work on values and, and decide as a leader what your values are and therefore how you think your business should run. Because I think uh, once you know what your values are, you have a reference point. And a reference point in, a, in, in very choppy waters is always a great thing to have. So that would be probably the three things, Matt, I'd, I'd advise anybody coming up through the ranks. Well, I am sure we are all going to go and work on our metaphorical dot-to-dot books, but it is such a great way of thinking about the role. I've never heard it described in that way um, before, and it's such a helpful metaphor. I also love that certainty, recognition, and belonging. (laughs) They are sort of universal things that human beings crave, aren't they? It's a sort of natural state of human beings. But if when you're in an organization, as, as, as I'm sure you are now, and I know I have been in the past, where you feel I'm certain about where the organization is going, I feel well recognized, and I feel part of a family. I feel like I belong here. This is where I'm supposed to be. It's a special place to be. Nick, that's been absolutely fascinating and really helpful. Thank you so much for joining us today. And on behalf of all of our listeners, I wish you and the team at Synergy Bank very, very well in your uh, journey over the coming years. A pleasure, man. Thank you very much. Take care. Well, Nick certainly helped us there to join the dots on what it means to be a CEO, didn't he? From a hunger for autonomy to building a lasting legacy, Nick's roadmap for leading an organisation has clearly never been more important than during the financial crisis, its aftermath, and of course, the more recent challenges of the pandemic. His rule of three around everyone's need for certainty, recognition, and that all-important sense of belonging was particularly striking and got me thinking about which ones I need to work on more in my own organisation. The risk of an asset bubble and a potential IPO will clearly keep Nick and the Synergy team pretty busy, and so we wish them well and thank Nick for his time. Thanks also to you for listening, and if you want to better join the dots, then why not subscribe? Take a look at our growing back catalogue of Meet the CEO interviews and give us a rating when you can. Meantime, best wishes in all your endeavours and look forward to welcoming you to the next episode of Meet the CEO.